All right, welcome in. Good morning, hockey. It's Thursday morning here in Chicago, and we're here to talk about hockey. We will welcome in Avery Lewis McDougal, contributor to the Hockey News in a little bit. We only had two games on last night. The The game we previewed, the Chicago Blackhawks taking on the Buffalo Sabres, was postponed due to the weather. So we only had two games of hockey last night. Uh, they were very good games. We'll get to them in a little bit. We're going to bring on Avery Lewis McDougal here in a second. He's going to uh, talk about the Edmonton Oilers with us. He's going to talk a little Western Canadian hockey. We're going to talk about the Oilers' 11-game win streak. We're going to uh, talk about the Pascal Siakam trade, maybe, uh, for all you basketball fans out there. And uh, so we thank him for coming on. We're going to bring him on in just a second. Um, There are 11 games around the NHL this evening, including the postponed Chicago Blackhawks and Buffalo Sabres game. And... um, yeah, we're going to talk a little PWHL, a little this day in history in the NHL. Um, jo- Jumbo Joe Thornton is getting his number retired by the San Jose Sharks. And uh, Pat McAfee and the m- goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury, second winningest goaltender of all time, by the way, now, uh, have an interesting bet on the line. So we'll get all that in today and whatever else comes across while we're recording. Um, do we have Avery ready to go, Raven? Yeah, I can switch him to the board right now. All right, so let's bring on Avery Lewis McDougal from the Hockey News. All right, Avery, you're on the air. We got Avery? He should be hearing us. Avery? Just here. Ah, there there we go. How you doing today, Avery? I'm doing well. How are things this morning, guys? How are things today? Uh, yeah, things are great. Things are great. We're really happy to have you on. Um, so... I wanted to start before we jump into the hockey. I know you cover the CEBL a little bit over in Canada, and you do a lot of work yeah. trying to um, grow basketball in a in a domestic league that a lot of people really are a fan of in Canada. The so uh, if you want to talk about that a little bit, but for, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on the Pascal Siakam deal yesterday that went down. Oh boy! Uh, well, first of all. You- start off with the, the CBL talk, you know, I've been involved in some capacity um, CBL coverage in 2019. I covered uh, the first, literally been around since literally day one league was announced as a, a report uh, covering the Empton Stingers. I did some sport of Stingers as a um, content producer, consultant, and I've been around the league literally since day one, seeing how it's grown from a startup to producing guys played in the NBA, most notable Xavier Moon, who's a three-time MVP, currently playing for the Clippers U League team in Ontario. And yeah, it's been cool to see how this is really the first pro basketball has gone coast to coast with teams in British Columbia, Alberta, Ontario, season team in Newfoundland for one year. And yeah, it's really cool to see how that people in Canada said, hey, you know, you can watch more basketball than just the NBA and get a chance to see Canadian guys get a chance to play to see talent of guys who play in the G and play in Europe become cult heroes. Markets like Edmonton, Calgary, Valley. it's really been built to see. And also, you, know, you mentioned the Pascal Siakam. Uh, it's tough because Siakam is a guy who in Toronto has become a uh, uh, hero among Raptor fans. He's a guy who spent six seasons, came through, was a player, played in the D League, now G League. And Toronto, so to see him go, it was tough. So it's tough because you, 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 you know Toronto got something back for him, but the fact that he didn't get back an Andrew Nebhardt or an, a buddy, it was kind of tough to swallow in that deal yesterday, though. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the Raptors contingent and fans are happy with the return. I think it would have been nice to get a canadian player like nemhard back in the in the deal but i think everybody seems to be happy with it uh chris boucher is now the only raptor remaining from the championship team uh nice to see you covering the cebl though that's a it's a really good league it's nice to see that uh basketball is growing domestically in canada so um let's switch over to the hockey side of things uh for right now so you live in edmonton you cover the oilers edmonton has won 11 games in a row they'll host the seattle kraken tonight um, what has gone right for the Oilers in this 11-game stretch? And maybe on the contrary, too, do you have any worries for the Oilers or any causes for concern? You, you know, I'll throw the positives. The fact that Edmonton is getting a lot of production from outside the 
dry settle is a really good thing because we all know Gnarry over the past few years here has been, ah, oh, Edmonton, two-man team, two-man show, McDavid and dry settle, McDavid and dry side. But the bulk of the scoring for this year at least has been led by Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman has a team leading goals. He's on pace for now about 53-goal campaign. It'll be his time in, in if, if, if you know, it'll be his first time in Korea if he does get there. Not an all star. Hmm. Very strange that you know the HL deemed to not be an all star. You know that's an <laughs> interesting thing. But yeah, you're getting you're getting Hyman playing well. You're getting Ryan McLeod playing well. You're getting Derek Ryan stepping up. You're just getting from its top nine core production. And on the back end, you're seeing Bouchard. Um, taking his game on the level of the defense. So, to me, an Edmonton Oilers team that has three or four lines per game and top two pairings looking well should scare any people in many ways. Um, so, any any reason that the Oilers should be not concerned, but is there, um, you know, things that they should be watching out for? Uh, I would say, really, the, for one thing is burning out Stuart Skinner. That uh-huh. is the big thing I don't, that this team has to be cautious of because they have not traded a goaltender yet. And Kevin Pickard, I mean, yes, he's been a good bandage when called upon, but it, I'm not sure if that's the guy you want to run into a plus with a, a tandem of Stuart Skinner and Kevin Pickard if he needs a rest or if Stuart falters. Now, I know that in Bakersfield, Jack Campbell's looked better in Bakersfield. He's looked better in last six starts. But I'm not sure. I, I don't think that was the answer to recall him. I know that was suggested that might be the answer to recall again. I still think that Edmonton has to go out there and make a trade because, again, like you said, if something happens to Sooner or he falters on the stretch, you need uh, another goaltender that can help support him when he needs to pick up for a few games. How about Evander Kane? We know uh, Chris Knobloch is trying to get him a little bit more ice time out there. Um, it's been difficult for him mm-hmm. to get the minutes that he wants in order to produce the way he wants. And we see that whenever he lines up with Drysaddle, he's got a little bit more jump in his game. But other times, it's a bit harder to find him on the ice. Um, what's the status with Evander Kane and maybe trying to get him going a little bit more? Evander uh, Kane, he's, a, he's a, in a really weird spot because, you know, when offensive. Yes, offensively when he's on, he's a guy who can be a 25-30 goal guy. But in his own end of the ice, he'd be struggling offensively. The metrics show he's not, he hasn't been the best defensive forward. And that's been a really big thing for Edmonton is that you have to be responsible in the end of the ice. But understand why at times, tenure, his ice time has dropped. And he's expressed at times, you know, be more sarcastic, be more, more in a non-serious way, his thoughts on ice time. But... When you're playing with Leon Dreisaitl, you have to step up for every single shift. And he's had moments where he's done that. But if you can't do that consistently every time you're on that line, it's going to be tough for a coach to keep you among the top six four units. And that's not good because the money mm-hmm. that King commands, he's got to be at his best on every single shift when you're playing with Leon Dreisaitl, no matter what game it is. Um, so we've seen a lot of coaching changes around the NHL this season and to varying degrees of success. The Wild got off to a hot start under John Hines. They've slowed down a bit since. The Ottawa Senators have struggled since DJ Smith was let go. Um, The St. Louis Blues have been a little over 500 since uh, Craig Berube was let go too. Um, And Drew Bannister was brought in. How has the impact, what has the impact of Chris Knobloch been on the Oilers what is the, I guess you could say, the vibe change around the team? Or is there one? Or is it just a newfound sense of urgency that's been brought upon maybe by the coaching change? Or is it um, direct systems and things that uh, Knobloch is instilling? What What is his overall impact on the group, Ben? Uh, you know, I would say with Chris Knobloch, I do think that replacing Jay Woodcroft with him did give this team a sense of urgency because when they did make this change, the team was mired in looking like they weren't going to be a playoff team. They were in the, they were deep in the pits of the NHL's Western Conference when they made the change. Uh, as you've seen, Chris Knobloch has come in now. This team is on 21-6 and six since the change. And, you know, I wouldn't... I would say the vibes, the vibes were a bit... The vibes were being in the locker room. You could tell that this was a, a unit that didn't like losing, wasn't comfortable with losing, and nor should they have been. But in terms of Jay Woodcroft, he was a guy, I think, be in the room. He was, he was liked a lot. Players liked him. He had a great, 
bigger rapport with the entire team. But bringing in Chris Knobloch, what we've seen so far is there has been more trust in guys like Ryan McLeod and Dylan Holloway compared to Jay Woodcroft. You've seen Knobloch play these guys more and when healthy, like Ryan McLeod played really well under Chris Knobloch. He's being trusted more at ice time. He knows how to get to the net and produce. But also, you're seeing the changes in terms of Knobloch using Paul Coffey to help work with Evan Bouchard and Darnell Nurse. And Paul Coffey, as everybody knows, Paul Coffey was one of the defense of the Simpson, loved to join the rush. And we've seen Knobloch and Coffey work with those guys to get them in the rush, be more active. And you've seen these guys getting the play. I mean, Nurse and Bouchard already got involved in the play quite a bit. But now with Knobloch and Coffey, more confidence in them, you're seeing them jump up even more than they used to and have becoming more effective defending in many areas. So as much as I did like Jay Woodcroft behind the bench at Edmonton, Knobloch's change has brought upon good in multiple areas, guys, and helped the vibes quite a bit here at Edmonton. A couple more for you here, Avery. Um, so the Oilers won on uh, Tuesday against the Leafs. Do you, uh, you you got to see the Leafs up close and personal. Obviously, Austin Matthews gets the goal about 30 seconds into the game. They build up a 2-0 lead yeah. on the Morgan Riley goal, and then they let in the next four. Um, what what were your thoughts on the Leafs, I guess? What what has been the, the reason for the struggles, the blown leads? Is it more of a mental thing with Toronto? Is it a larger organizational issue that needs to be addressed? Is there a shakeup coming, or do you think they need to hold the course? Uh, you know, it's it's a really thing because watching Toronto play, like the, watching them get up to their hot start against the Oilers, you thought it would be at least figuring things out, especially again with Riley, Matthews, and this is a team that still has Mitch Marner, William Nylander up front. They should be a team that should be figuring some things out, but it's a really, really weird, it's a really weird dynamic right now. And I, I truly think that if this is not the year, this is not the year in which Toronto goes further than the first round or crashes out in the second round again. I don't know what pieces are going to be left next year. I mean, of course, you're going to still have the. It's not. It's not starting. You're going to have back Matthews and Nylander. That's of course going to happen. They're they're signed here in Toronto. But everything else around it, though, I don't know. Like you might see some more changes, and if you're Sheldon Keith, your job might not be so safe if you can't figure this out. And it's tough because Toronto should be better than expected. The Edmonton game should be a wake-up call for the Leafs. And because, again, in the Atlantic division, that is a tough division of hockey they, they are in right now. So, I mean, yes, regular season stats show that, yeah, they can produce. But if they can't get it done again in the postseason, I don't know what you – I don't know how Brendan Shanahan can defend this team going forward, make up as it is. I'm, I'm going to give Bart Living some more time because, you know, yes, it's only his first year as least GM. But – I do think his leash won't be very long if the Leafs can't make anything um, going forward in postseason again, guys. Um, so the Oilers will take on the Seattle Kraken tonight. They've lost two in a row, but they're still 8-2 and two in their last 10. Um, it's a team that seems to be finding their groove a little bit, minus uh, the last two games. Do you have a few words maybe on the Oilers' opponent tonight, the Kraken, and what you might be seeing from them this evening? You know, the Kraken, they're, they're a very fun team. I've liked watching them play for a long time. You know, actually on our on our old Yahoo show, Zone Time, I actually called them last year to beat Colorado in seven games. You know, wow. I got that one right. But um, <laughs> I I think Seattle's a very fun team. Jordan Eberle, um, Taliyamoto. And this is a team that, you know, they were, again, like the Oilers, they were a team that started the year slow, we mentioned, won a lot of games, bro. They're a very dynamic team. So I think for Edmonton, it's going to really be a matter of, again, starting on time and not, and not finding yourself against the eight ball against Seattle. The team has always given them a hard time being here or um, down south, really. We'll see how that one goes. One more for you here, Avery. Um, so Saturday night, so the Leafs will take on so the Leafs will take on Calgary tonight. The Oilers obviously will take on the Kraken. And then the Oilers and Flames will meet up on Saturday for a battle of Alberta. It is the second of four meetings. They'll meet again on February 23rd and then on April 5th. Um, the Oilers beat the Flames in the first Battle of Alberta this season, 5-2 to two, on October 28th. And um, what? So Calgary is 7-3 in their last 10. 
and they seem to be finding a groove, even though there's still a bit of uncertainty, I guess, about what's going to happen with the group, even extending a few months from now into the future. Um, what is, is there still anticipation, I guess, in the city for a battle of Alberta? Is the city still going to get up for it? Is everybody, is Saturday going to be a nice fun day in Edmonton? Oh, oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's the battle of Alberta the past few years and especially more with the, um, 2022 playoff series, it is still a, uh, a game that gets both markets fired up. It's what Antonians want to, want to see because, um, people, people like seeing this team, um, beat guys like Elias Lindholm, uh, Elias Lindholm, like Nathan Kadri. I mean, it's always competitive. It's always a competitive series, especially when these two teams are, are near, either near a playoff spot or contending. It, it, it ramps up even more. But you know, I think I think um, I think Edmonton. Big thing is in that game is again focus on in that one containing obviously Lindholm, Blake Coleman, who leads the team in scoring. But in terms of again the markets, it's going to be a fun one for Edmonton to see. No matter if no matter the time of year, no matter who's in the lineup, when these two teams are competitive, Edmonton just want to see him to find a way to win somehow, guys. That's awesome. All right, I am going to add one more last last question. Uh, the PWHL. Have you been ca- have you been catching any of the PWHL? Have you been enjoying some of the games so far? Absolutely, I have been. Tough, yeah. Yeah. Any any thoughts on the PWHL? Honestly, you know, again, I love the fact that we have again these six teams, a lot of them in NHL markets that are getting so much fan support in markets like in markets like Minnesota, Ottawa, Toronto, and the fact that we're getting. People are coming out and packing NHL buildings with uh, 13,000 fans in Minnesota. We're seeing loud crowds at Madame Arena in Toronto. I love that. And I love the fact that, hey, they're proving the, the haters wrong who say, oh, no one wants to come walk women hockey. I love the fact that they're being, they're being shouted down in droves. And I'm a big fan of the fact that the p dub has gone and experimented with a few different rules that I would love to see NHL adopt one day. Great examples are the fact that they do a 3-2-1 point system. I think that's great. And the fact that we also have the jailbreak goal rule, where if you score shorthanded on a two-minute minor, the penalty is over. Like, that to me, I always felt that to me makes just too much sense because if you score shorthanded, why are you still being penalized? I think that encourages being aggressive when down a player. I want to see NHL maybe try it in the preseason try that rule like, i think that'd be great to give a, a motivation for teams shorthanded to not be so defensive and not just try and just up the puck down down the ice on the penalty kill great stuff avery thank you so much do you want to plug anything that you're working on or um just your writing where people can find you at yeah so yeah so i'm with yeah so I, all my stuff is found at the hockey news i'm actually doing a feature that's gonna be coming out this week here on on the on um on the All-Star Game content. So that's going to be a fun stuff for, um, with the All-Star Game coming up in February uh, 1st to 3rd year. Yeah, so if you want to see more of my work on Hockey News, follow me on Twitter at AVRY. All my content is on there through all my articles, podcasts, other kind of cool stuff involving hockey, basketball, and other sports to write on. <laughs> Avery, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. No, of course. Sounds good. Pleasure to be on this morning. Thank you. That was Avery Lewis McDougal from the Hockey News. He is great at what he does. He, uh, like I said, he covers the CEBL for uh, the Edmonton area, the the YEG as they call it over there. Um, he he's very good at what he does. He he knows a lot about the Oilers. He knows a lot about hockey. Um, very good stuff. Uh, so thank you to him for joining us today. Last night, uh, the Montreal Canadiens beat the New Jersey Devils three to two. Um, that was one of the more all-around effective games I've seen from Cole Caulfield on both sides of the puck, offense and defense. Um, I know everybody's going to point to the out-of-the-air assist he gave to Uri Slavkovsky on the first goal, but I think the game-winning goal that stood up last night for Cole Caulfield going right to the front of the net in the, the dirty areas, not where many people think Cole Caulfield scores a lot of goals or what many people think of when they think of a Cole Caulfield goal. But he goes right to the front of the net. He cleans up a loose puck and gives the Montreal Canadiens a win that they really needed and wanted. But at at the same time, um, New Jersey felt like they really needed that one too. Uh, special moment for Slovakian hockey too. Uh, Slavkovsky said something about it after the game, but it was the first game between Uri Slavkovsky and Simon Nemec, defenseman for the Devils, 
Uh, those two guys were obviously the top two picks of the 2022 NHL draft, so it was nice to see that. And it seems as though, bit by bit, Uri Slavkovsky is starting to figure out the NHL. He has two goals, three assists for five points in his last 10. And no, those aren't world-beating numbers. They're not Jack Hughes numbers. But one point I wanted to make is that Uri Slavkovsky has played, uh, I don't know exactly how many games, if it's been 82 or if it's been 100 so far. I think he's played in 82 only. And his numbers are very similar across that same timeline to Jack Hughes, another former first overall pick that struggled upon initially arriving in the NHL. So um, it, it seems as though Slavkovsky is starting to use his body a bit more, starting to smarten up as far as positioning goes, where to be on, on the ice, Um and I know everybody's thing last year with Uri Slavkovsky was how much he was getting hit. But now it seems to be that he's picking his spots correctly, uh, a bit smarter. He's up playing with the big guys and Suzuki and Caulfield there. So to see him produce is nice to see. Um, and Nemich has been really good, too, on a New Jersey blue line. He started the year in the American Hockey League, but he's got two goals, seven assists, nine points in 21 games so far. And uh, he, he's just been really solid. He's a really smooth skater. So New Jersey is very lucky to have him on a defense that also includes rookie Luke Hughes. Um, and just to shine a little bit more light on the Slovakian hockey, Slovakian hockey is on the rise. Uh, you not only have these two guys, but you have prospects like Dalibor Dvorsky, the St. Louis Blues pick. You have Samuel Hanzik, who is a Calgary Flames pick. So um, those two guys are really good. And then for the Montreal Canadiens, if we're sticking in-house, they have Philip Meshar, who was another first-round pick in that uh, same draft in 2022. Uh, three Slovakians went in that first round, but he has uh, 36 points, 15 plus 21 in 23 games only. He had nine points in five games at the World Juniors. So it seems like the Habs have a good one there. Uh, also another... Uh, Shout out to Sherbrooke Phoenix alum Joshua Waugh getting his first goal in the NHL last night. Uh, great feed from Sean Monahan on the two-on-one, slowing up and stopping and giving a wonderful pass over to Joshua. Um, he had 30 points in his first 34 NHL or AHL games this season. So uh, he gets the call up. He gets his first goal in his third game. So nice to see that. Alex Holtz gets a goal last night too. He really can rip the puck harder than... Uh, not very many people in the NHL. So um, he shoots it very hard. He's very impressive. I think New Jersey is happy with how he's coming along. There's been a lot of talk of maybe he is a luxury for New Jersey, but it seems to be that now he is asserting himself as a irreplaceable piece in that lineup, which is uh, something that they will uh, happily take in New Jersey. Um, like I said, Sean Monaghan was very solid last night. The the feed to Joshua on the goal. He gets another assist later on on the Caulfield game winner. So uh, Sean Monaghan is having a really nice bounce back season. He was good last season too, but I think he's been even better this year. He's uh, found a bit of a groove for himself in Montreal. I know they, there's been talk that they will look to move on from him at the deadline if something makes sense for both parties. Um, but it's it's nice to see him finding his way in Montreal um, just wanted to give a second to Nico Dawes, too. Uh, we all know New Jersey's main struggle has been between the pipes with uh, Vitek Vanacek and Akira Schmid. So Schmid is down in um, the the Devils minor league team. And um, Nico Dawes has gotten a lot of the last few starts, and I know he hasn't gotten the wins to show for it a lot of the time, but he's been very solid for them. So Montreal will be in Ottawa tonight, and New Jersey will be in Columbus on Friday. Um, the other game last night was the Detroit Red Wings beating the Florida Panthers 3-2 to in overtime. That was Dylan Larkin with the winner. And another day, another Sam Reinhart goal. Um, he scores again, but it was former Panther Alex Lyon stealing the show. He had uh, 32 saves in that one. Um, the Cats had doubled the high-danger scoring chances that the Red Wings had. So it was uh, Florida really controlled the pace of play for a large majority of this one. It looked like this game could have easily been 5-2, 6-2 Florida. Not that um, Lyon, didn't, Lyon didn't have to make that many right-on-the-doorstep saves, but he was still very, very solid in this one. Um, and the Red Wings, honestly, are just showing uh, a newfound urgency to win. They are in the top three in the Atlantic for the first time in more than a month. And the fact that... 
they have been able to put all of this together and found gutsy wins in a time when um, some of these games may not have been in their favor or may not have uh, set them up set them up for the best of success. We all know that game on Sunday that they played against the Toronto Maple Leafs was a schedule loss even before the the snow and the the airport situation. So um, Detroit is really finding a way to pull out these gutsy efforts, and um, it's good to see them do that. We'll see if they end up making the playoffs. I think they will. This team just looks very all-round deep. Um, no Patrick Kane last night, obviously, for the Red Wings. Uh, we will wait to see how long he'll be out, and we anticipate his return. Um, but the the Red Wings do defeat the Florida Panthers last night, three to two in overtime. They will host, uh, or they will be in Carolina. I'm sorry, Friday night, Friday evening. So uh, we will be on the lookout for that one. Uh, that should be a good game too. The Florida Panthers will host the Minnesota Wild on Friday night as well. So we will see if they can get another win for themselves. But Sam Reinhart has been fantastic. He is the second Florida Panthers player with more than 20 or more special teams goals. So that is power play plus shorthanded goals. He, um, The other player is Pavel Bure. He had... 24 in 2000-2001. Um, the other thing about Sam Reinhart, he sets a new franchise record with an eight-game goal streak. So he now has 10 goals in his last eight, eight games. And that shot last night was just a rocket. I mean, he clearly has... And I feel like we're saying that about a lot of players this these days in the NHL is they've really learned how to shoot the puck. They really know how to shoot the pill better than they ever have. And I think that's very true. And all around, we're seeing shooters shoot the puck better and be more accurate with it and be able to get the puck off quicker and more force, velocity, everything. So um, Sam Reinhart with a nice rip. That is uh, another one for him. And the Florida Panthers pick up a point. I know they lost in overtime, but it is a crucial point. Every point these days is very, very important. Um, So we talked to Avery a little bit about about the PWHL. He mentioned all the... um, the rule changes, all the the things they're trying, the jailbreak goal where if you score shorthanded, the penalized player comes out of the box. I personally am a big fan of the 3-2-1 standings uh, point system that they use. He mentioned that. that I think the NHL needs that. I think it's time for that. It is um, If you're going to award the loser point like the NHL does for losing in overtime, then there needs to be a bit more of a distinction between a win in regulation and a win in overtime, right? Um, So those are all good things. But the one thing he didn't bring up that I have found very interesting in the PWHL is the road team dominance. So we've seen 13 PWHL games so far, and the road team is 10-3, and um, including two wins last night, uh, yesterday. Boston defeats Toronto 3-2 in Toronto, and um, Minnesota defeats... Uh, Ottawa last night, three to two in overtime in Ottawa. Grace Zumwinkle with the overtime winner. So that's been an interesting thing of note for me. Um, some of these players have been really good though. Boston's been very, Boston's been terrific. I, I know that they're trying to figure it out. Lauren Gable had two goals and an assist. Alina Mueller had three assists against Toronto, the team that passed over her in the draft. Um, that is an interesting note. Uh, Jocelyn Lamro was who they went with instead with that pick. Not that that is a questionable pick, but maybe Alina Mueller had a bit more fire in the legs yesterday in order to uh, power her team to that win. Um, Like I said, Minnesota wins 3-2 over Ottawa as well. Uh, Ottawa had a 2-0 lead, and then Susanna Tapani had something to say about it. She uh, scored two goals, including the overtime winner. Uh, Grace Umwinkle has been really good. She leads the league in goal scoring, but she's second in overall league scoring behind Carpenter, Alex Carpenter. Um... The next games will be, uh, we'll have a Saturday doubleheader for the PWHL. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. And uh, both Minnesota goalies, just one last point on the P-Dub uh, for the day. The Both Minnesota goalies sit at the top of the league in save percentage. Let me get those numbers exactly here for you right now. Um, so Nicole Hensley leads the league with a 946 save percentage, and then her teammate Maddie Rooney has a 943. So save percentages have been really good among the league leaders too. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that changes. It's still very early on in the league. It's nice to mess around with some of these numbers, see who's performing hard, uh, hard and really well right off the hop. So um, it's nice to see. Uh, we have, like I said, 11 games around the NHL tonight. We previewed the the Hawks and Sabres a little bit yesterday. 
We talked about the Hawks re-signing some of their guys like Jason Dickinson and Nick Foligno, who is still out of the lineup. But uh, the Hawks are coming off of a win, uh, 2-1 over, or shootout win over the San Jose Sharks. And um, we'll see. Buffalo really needs this win. I don't know if it'll be Ukopeka Lukanen or Devin Levi in the net for Buffalo. I assume it'll be UPL, considering he's coming off a shutout victory. And... Um, that should be a good one. Elsewhere around the league, we have the uh, Rangers taking on the Vegas Golden Knights tonight. That is the late game. That is in Vegas. Um, that should be a very good game. The The Golden Knights are looking to self-correct a little bit here. Um, their goaltending is in a bit of a health situation. Aiden Hill is out, and their uh, third stringer, Yuri Patera, has dealt with uh, some injuries on and off. So we'll see if he ends up backing up Logan Thompson tonight or if it is Isaiah Seville. Um, elsewhere, we have the Coyotes visiting the Canucks. That should be a good one. Vancouver is returning home after doing very, very well on the road. They lost most recently to the Columbus Blue Jackets, but um, still a very successful road trip for the Vancouver Canucks. How you doing, Raven? Doing good. Are you uh, looking out for anything in particular tonight? Yeah. You know, my thing is the Preds-Kings game tonight. I think that's going to be one to be interesting and one that I feel like is going to tell a lot about how both these teams are really doing right now. You know, the Preds are 11-2-1 against the Kings since 2017-2018. That's wild in my opinion. Which It's for a great a- record. Which is a great record, but for a team that has been consistently idealized and like thought of being title contenders, or at least one of those teams that could potentially get there, why are they struggling so much? Like that's my question, and especially this year, I know they have a few minor injuries. I know Copley's out for the year, and they got a new goalie now. But like, what's missing from that team to really? kind of tie it all together in my opinion like well so i i think with the kings um they we talked a little bit about this yesterday too but the the kings are an interesting case because they were clicking really early on in the year quentin byfield was a monster um anzi kopitar was producing at an incredibly high level and he still is um i think with the kings and trevor moore was really good too he's still been very good but i think with the kings it's a consistency among the forward group it's a consistency of expectations it is what line am i on and who am i playing with and what are our expectations as a group and how can we best contribute to that and that goes for both sides of the puck offense and defense um we know Pierre-Luc Dubois has struggled putting the puck in the back of the net but it's not just that it is the the commitment to attention to detail and uh, a collective defensive effort and helping out your goalie. We know Copley's out for the season, but Cam Talbot has been really good. He's going to the All-Star game this year. So um, I I don't know that you can entirely pinpoint this on the goaltending, even though a lot of people might right now um, say that this is something that wasn't ever supposed to hold up for them and that now it's finally showing through. Um, We also said, we also brought up yesterday that they aren't playing Jordan Spence and Brent Clark in the same game. So uh, that might be something that gets looked at. I don't know if they end up trying it tonight. Um, but the Predators have three more wins than the Kings today, uh, as, as of today. So going into this one, the Predators have 24 wins. The Kings have 21. So even though the Kings are ahead of the Predators by a measly point, um, the Predators have more wins. And not that they are necessarily chasing each other in the standings, right? Because one can't take the the divisional spot from them. But if, if LA were to suddenly fall into a wild card spot, right? Cause we have the surging Oilers that might be right there and snatch up that third spot behind Vegas. And, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the LA Kings. I think, um, there needs to be more. We were talking about a, a sense of urgency to win with the Red Wings that they almost appeared as if they just weren't going to lose in that game against Toronto on Sunday they were losing and they battled themselves back and it looked like it might even go to overtime for a little bit and they forced their way into a win and made it happen in 60 minutes um I know yesterday took overtime but they they did the same thing they were being outplayed 
and they got a win. So I think LA needs to find a little bit of that in their game. I think Todd McClellan needs to, I want to say, stick with a group of forwards and, you know, set a group of forwards and stick with it for a little while. I don't know if it's as simple as that. Um, you always have to find the right combinations, and LA does have a eclectic, large mix of forwards to choose from, um, and to slot them correctly is never an easy task. So um, we'll, we'll see how that one goes. I'll definitely keep my eye on that one tonight. Thank you, Raven, for jumping in on that. Yeah. Um, I got another little fun fact. Yeah, yeah let's Nashville. hear it. Let's hear it. Nashville is the most physical team in the league with um, 115 more hits compared to the Islanders in second. I believe it's just over 1,000. That's that's. I, I would not have pegged that. I would have... Um, I would have probably thrown Ottawa in that mix for tough teams. Now, maybe that's just me thinking of uh, Brady Kachuk being the the league leader by a, lapping the field in penalty minutes and hits. But um, that, that is an interesting note. Uh, the Predators have Andrew Burnett, who I think a lot of people, when he was in Florida with the interim and um, in New Jersey last year as an assistant, I think a lot of people thought of Andrew Burnett being a guy that will bring in a high-flying offense. I don't know that a lot of people associated Andrew Burnett's coaching style with heavy physicality. Um, That may be a Ryan O'Reilly edition sort of mental part of it all where you you bring in a tough, tough guy like um, Ryan O'Reilly and the expectation may just be, hey, we're going to play as more of a physical group now. Um, I think it's also surprising, too, that the Islanders are second up. We know they have some heavy hitters like Martin and Clutterbuck and Sezikis and um, some other guys in that lineup that that throw the body around. But interesting to see that they are, first of all, second, and that the Predators are that far ahead of them. Any other interesting tidbits, Raven, or was that the, was that the extent of things? That was the extent of things, but, yeah, March 8th deadline is in exactly a month away. Who do you think needs like a piece to really wrap up their team? So I think the trade deadline is going to be a little interesting this year. We um, William Nylander obviously signed his contract extension with Toronto. So not that he was going to be moved at the deadline anyways, but that does take one big piece off the board because whenever you talk about free agency, you one have an eye towards the summer because you're looking at guys that may be on expiring deals that, will be moved uh, by teams that aren't really in contention for a playoff spot. And then the other part of it too, is if you're a general manager and you have a guy that is a year and a half away from unrestricted free agency, you might be looking to move on from that particular piece because then you can sell whoever you're giving that player to on the promise of you get two playoff runs with this player. So um, there are a couple pieces like that, like, like a Travis Konechny, like a in Philly, but Philly's in a playoff spot right now. I don't see them dealing someone like Konechny, who's such an impact player on the team right now, um, even though it may be tempting. And we've heard from Danny Briere that they still understand the fact that this is a rebuild. Um, I, I don't know what a lot of these teams are going to do. I feel like Detroit, if they... I feel like their deadline acquisition was signing Patrick Kane about a month ago and having him play very well. And I know he's out right now. So that may be a case where we um, see that be their deadline acquisition. Florida looks really good right now. I, I think the, the the trade deadline team to watch right now is honestly the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, not trying to throw things all the time back to the Leafs, but um, they the defense needs some patchwork. And it's not even what they need. It's what... It's all about perception, right? So um, I think Brad Treliving in Toronto, the GM, feels that a move at some point is going to need to be made. Um, A lot of the times with teams, too, sometimes just staying the course and standing pat works just as well as going for a big, swinging for the fences for a big piece. Um, So I could see Toronto being active, especially if there's something available on defense for them, maybe a Chris Tanev type. Tampa Bay is always around the the deadline. Um, we know that they've been experimenting a lot with the bottom six of their forward group as well as the the bottom half, I guess, of their of their defense. They've been rotating different guys in, giving different kids looks. Uh, a lot of first NHL games in Tampa this year, especially in the last few weeks. So 
We'll see about that. I think the big the big team to watch out for, and this is a long answer to your question, Raven, I know, but the big team I'm looking for to be players in in and around the deadline are the Vancouver Canucks. I think um, the expectations in Vancouver were not set at the level of play that they've been playing at. Then they've, and that's a compliment. They've been way over expect expectations. They've been really solid, and uh, I think there is a desire. I know that there is a desire among the fan base to reward the hard work and the success that the Vancouver Canucks have had so far this season. They want to reward them. And so a lot of the chatter has been Jake Gensel and whether that is a possibility for the Canucks. Um, there, there's been a lot of talk about it. I don't know that I'm trying to find exactly. Uh, Kyle Dubas came out yesterday and said that the, they will not be moving Jake Gensel. So Canucks fans will uh, be a little bit sad and hear about that, but uh, you never know what could happen. I think the Canucks will still look to to add maybe a piece on the forward, maybe swap something in. Money's tight right now, like I said, around the NHL. So a lot of things in Vancouver might have to be dollar in, dollar out type of deal. Um, they already made the move for Nikita Zadorov earlier in the season. So they've already bolstered their back end a little bit. Um, but I think this year around the deadline, we might just see a lot of minor moves, maybe some moves for goaltending depth. Uh, looking at teams like Colorado, they might trade for a goalie. Um Maybe Los Angeles tries to get another netminder in there to help out Cam Talbot. So, long story short, we we'll see what the uh, what the trade deadline brings. I don't know that it's going to be as much of a flurry as some other years. Now that I've said that, though, there might be some of the biggest trades we've ever seen on deadline day this year. So, um, we'll see. Um, the other thing about the deadline too is, and I I think this is a case about a lot of sports too. We talked with Avery about the Pascal Siakam deal that the NBA deadline I think is three weeks away. And that deal was made now. And um, there's a case to be made on both sides, right? Uh, a lot of teams, if you have an asset that you're wanting to move, some teams believe that pushing it closer to the deadline increases the price of of that asset. Um, so, but there is this understanding, especially in a sport like hockey too, right? Uh, we were talking about Zadorov to Vancouver a little bit a second ago. And um, the the... The impact of bringing someone in right away as opposed to waiting until the the last possible second, whereas if you bring if you were to bring someone in today or a couple weeks ago or how, whenever, but if you bring someone in well before the deadline, they have time to adjust to the system, to the team. You're just giving – you're buying yourself more time with the player to uh, increase the likelihood of success. So I think the deadline has uh, spread out a little bit more. I think we'll – We'll start to see some movement probably within the next week or so. And I think the deadline is going to look less like a specific day and more like a two and a half, three week period where we see players moved and circumstances happen. Teams try and open up cap space, open up roster spots. So um, the deadline will be interesting, though. There are not a lot of direct sellers, teams that have put themselves squarely in the position of, hey, we are moving on from said pieces. One of those teams might be the Ottawa Senators, who are in action, like I said, tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. Um, they may move on from a piece like Tarasenko. They may move on from a piece like Dominic Kubalik. Uh, we'll see about that. The Blackhawks obviously re-signing Dickinson, so that's one fewer player they have on the roster to move on from and try and get an asset for and uh, put in a playoff position. So, um We'll, we'll see how all that works. Um, the other game I wanted to uh, make note of, we talked a little bit about, is uh, the Avalanche will take on the Boston Bruins tonight. The Avalanche are hoping to be the first NHL team this season to 30 wins. Um, and the Bruins will look to hold them off from that. So we'll see how that goes. Jeremy Swayman is coming off a shutout after discussing a little bit about the, the difficulty of the arbitration process. He said that um, he heard things that he should never hear and that uh, a player should never have to hear from a team. And then he responded with a shutout and you could tell that that meant a lot to him. So we'll see if the Bruins end up going back to Jeremy Swayman or if they go to Linus Allmark. Um, that should be a good one. The other game that should be really good is the Dallas Stars taking on the Philadelphia Flyers. That'll be in Philadelphia tonight. Um, Philly's just been playing really hard. I know that Jimmy Drysdale has uh, missed some time this weekend because he was sick. Uh, we'll see if he returns to the lineup for Philadelphia this evening. Dallas has been really good. They're coming off a 5-1 win themselves. And um, 
this should be a much more physical game than I think everybody anticipates. I think we all know that Philly plays hard, and I know that we all know that they have players like Garnet Hathaway, Nate, Nick Sealer, some of these guys that that throw the body around, and Travis Konechny that aren't afraid to be physical. Um, but I think Dallas is a sneaky, physical hockey club, and uh, that should be a really good matchup. A couple of really high-flying scores, especially on the Dallas Stars end, so we'll see if uh, Philly can hold them off. That um, pro- should prove to be a good matchup tonight of two really good teams. Um, just wanted to make a quick mention. 66 years ago today, Willie O'Ree became the first black player to play in the NHL. That was January 18th, 1958. Uh, Willie O'Ree was also blind in one eye, so and he didn't tell anybody that until after his career was over because he was afraid that if he said something about it that he would never get an opportunity to play, and he ended up playing and was successful and is a success story. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame a few years ago. Um, he's still doing a lot to support the growth of hockey and showcase the, the diversity of the game and the growth of the game compared to where it was in 1958 when he began so uh, perhaps to Willie O'Ree and um, 66 years ago. That uh, long time ago, but uh, not too long also at the same time. So uh, the San Jose Sharks will also announce that they will retire uh, J- Jumbo Joe Thornton's number 19. That's going to happen, I think, next season. I'm going to confirm with that here for a second. Did you see the clip of the Pat McAfee show? Yeah, Shady Raven. No, I did not. So Marc-Andre Fleury, we talked about it a little bit. He passes Patrick Waugh, becomes the second winningest goaltender in NHL history, 552 wins. And he makes an appearance on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. And that was pretty cool. We should have probably pulled up the clip, but that's okay. Um, So basically, we've seen a couple goalie goals this year, uh, or one goalie goal this year. We saw Tristan Jari put one in the back of the net. We've seen a few guys uh, go for it. Um, We we saw one in the AHL too. Um, But... Pat McAfee said to Marc-Andre Fleury that if he shoots puck and scores a goal into an empty net this year, that he will donate two hundred and fifty grand to a charity of his choice. So I thought that, that was very cool. Um, we'll see if he actually gets a goal. I don't know. We should find an NHL goalie and try and get him to uh, score a goal. I don't know if we can offer two hundred and fifty grand though on behalf of our <laughs> show. On behalf of our network. Yeah, no. I, I mean, maybe, maybe if we get a nice donation. But so the the jumbo Joe Thornton, by the way, I just wanted to announce that'll actually just be next month. It's not next season. It's next month. So um, he played in the NHL for twenty four seasons. Is one of the best passers of all time. Um, and it'll be nice to uh, see that. They'll love him there. That should be a great game in what has been a tough season for San Jose. It'll give the fans a reason to show out and be loud and supportive for a player that they loved very much. Obviously, Joe Thornton is one of the only players or the only player in the NHL that was traded midway through a season in which they won the MVP. So um, he led the league with 96 assists that year and 125 points. And um, he's first in assists in Sharks history, second in points behind Marlowe. He's third in games played, fourth in goals. So um, he that team like that team was arguably one of the best teams to never win the Stanley Cup. Um, a lot of people will point to the 2007 Ottawa Senators. I won't disagree with you there, but just the the Sharks as a whole from the day he started uh, that was December second, 2005, through his final season with them in 2019-20. 2020 he they led the nhl in team points so 1443 only the pittsburgh penguins 660 had more regular season wins than the sharks in that span and that was only one more 659 wins uh they were in the western conference final four times 2010 2011 2016 and 2019 they made the stanley cup final in 2016 they lost to the pittsburgh penguins um but Jumbo Joe's arrival in San Jose sparked what would be just decades of growth in the area. Um, We've talked a bit about Macklin Celebrini here on the network. He is going to go first overall this year in the draft by all accounts. And he was a junior shark. That uh, is in no part due, no small part due to the, the impact of Joe Thornton and hockey in the area. We talk a lot about the impact that the Wayne Gretzky trade have had on the um, the growth of hockey in Southern California. Maybe we should be talking a little bit more about how the Joe Thornton trade uh, impacted growth of hockey in the Northern California area. So um, 
it was a good it was a good show today raven that was, that was really fun um a little bit longer of a one i do want to apologize to the listeners for during the beginning of avery's phone call there was a little bit of a weird popping sound but it ended up getting fixed by the end say, of it. it did kind of fix itself by the end of it but hopefully we'll iron out any of those kind of creases for next time but very excited with our uh first actual guest on. He, he was really good man he, he did fantastic shout out avery yeah, check no. him out on Twitter. Yeah, check him out on Twitter. Check him out on Instagram. He's a great writer. He, uh, like I said, does great work for the Hockey News, who are now uh, run and operated by Sports Illustrated. So he's really good. Uh, a couple more loose points I want to tie up here. So um, uh, Stephen Stamkos, Julian Breesbrot, has come out and said that Stephen Stamkos will not be traded prior to the de- trade deadline. So um, this can go back to our earlier point. Obviously, he's in the final year of an eight-year deal. He went into training camp at the beginning of the year and said... Um, that he was a bit uh, dumbfounded that there had been no uh, contract extension discussions with the team so far. Um, but according to Breezebois, here's the quote, Steven Stamkos isn't getting traded. You can all write that Steven Stamkos is not getting traded, so we can put that one to bed. That's not going to change between now and the deadline under any circumstances. He also said that the contract situation would be revisited after the season. So um, we'll keep an eye on that one. Kasperi Kapanen of the Blues is also going to miss at least four weeks. Um, Jack Eichel is out week to week with uh, he had surgery. They said a a lower body a lower lower body surgery. That, that's a tough one. Try saying that three times fast. Um, so uh, we'll hope for a speedy recovery from him. Um, other than that, like I said, yeah, that was uh, a really good uh, time having Avery on. Go go read his stuff. He's really good. We're going to hope to bring him on a little bit more often to get a good rotating cast of people on here to uh, help out with the hockey conversation around the, around the NHL and around the globe. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow, uh, 11 games on tap for tonight. We'll be back tomorrow morning to recap them all and get you all set up for a nice weekend. Uh, we hope you all have a great rest of your day. Uh, Thank you to Raven again, and uh, all the mistakes were mine. So, yeah, have a great one. Bye, everyone.